Good morning. Again, it's good to see everyone. I like uh, talking and being able to see uh, most of the faces of uh, 25 people or so as I speak. I, I um, appreciate the uh, sense of connection that, that I feel. As you may have gathered from the reflection question, what I want to explore this morning, and I'm thinking also to explore it next week, is deepening our practice during a pandemic. And I want to work with a, a broad sense of practice as I did in the reflection that could include one's formal practice for meditation, daily life practice, how one offers one's uh, gifts to the world, one's work, one's service, one's efforts at social change and so forth. So a broad sense. And I'm operating from the uh, starting point that a crisis also brings opportunity. That when we have uh, challenges or difficulties or sometimes even losses, these are very commonly both individually or for a community or for a society. This is often when change occurs. There's the possibility of significant change when we see that in some way the old way of doing things uh, isn't working when we see that when we see that more clearly so for example in the 1930s the new deal came in the midst of the great depression and brought um, quite a lot of very positive changes it was limited in some ways because the politicians made agreements, as many of you know, with Southern senators. And so the benefits were generally not equally given to, to black people. But still there were programs which you know, eventually were given more equitably. And so we can see when we look to, uh, look to the world now that the pandemic is also making possible and clearer the need for some changes. You know, we can see that at the level of the uh, healthcare system, you know, that it's not meeting the needs of many people and that there are clear disparities in terms of who gets good care. And I think I saw that because of job losses, over 5 million people were losing their health care, right? It's not a great system, you know, and it, it, people suffer and die because of the way it is. Or we've also, I think the pandemic also on a social level makes clearer uh, economic inequality, you know, related to the health care issues. And of course, uh, there's the greater attention given in the last 
uh, month and a half to the need to address systemic or institutional or structural racism, which I think uh, gives the opportunity that's probably the best opportunity that's occurred in 50 years. Many people see that, that there's something that seems very likely to occur. Everyone needs to stay with it in some way. And we can also, I think there, there are also benefits in terms of the pandemic. We can really see more clearly how greed, hatred, and delusion work. You know, that uh, particularly how some of the uh, leadership at a national level and in many states, I think I would call it outright delusional, not seeing reality clearly you know, and not following, not following science, and we can see the effects. I think this will have an impact, right? That I, I read uh, that uh, some realities about this, for example, um, Italy, which was once the, had the worst effects of the coronavirus, and has a population twice that, uh, for example, of Texas, had recently averaged 200 new cases a day, that's in Italy, twice the population of Texas. Texas has had 9,000 new cases a day. Germany has a population four times the population of Florida. Germany has had 400 new cases a day. A few days ago, Florida, Florida had over 15,000. I would call this the result of delusion, which is connected with, with greed. And hopefully we can also see that there is similar delusion in relation to climate issues. And hopefully we can wake up, right? The delusion is still going on. And, you know, I'm afraid that uh, climate impacts will make what we're going through look like a, what? Uh, you know, a two-day cold or something. <laughs> so, um, on an individual level, one of the opportunities, I think, of this time is the chance to deepen one's practice. And this could happen in a few different ways. Some of us may have more time, less activities, less commuting, and there may actually be more time for formal practice and more um, attention able to be brought to the various dimensions of our development of mindfulness or compassion or skillful action, wise speech and so forth. For many people, and I find this talking with people, for a lot of people, the last few months have brought up more deeply the question, what are my priorities? What do I want to do? What's my life about? What's important to me? And so again, this could be motivation for deepening practice. We can ask that question echoing the poem by Mary Oliver. What do I want to do with my own 
one wild, precious life. And the pandemic can, for many people, bring up that question. For some of us, there's been, probably for many of us, more stress, more anxiety, more difficulties, and we have an opportunity to meet those difficulties through deepening of our practice. I've heard that from a number of people as well. So others, they may be in work that's directly helping people, and we may be called to connect our practice more deeply in terms of cultivating compassion or kindness with our work. We may also be called to address some of those issues or crises that I named. That might be the expression of our, of our practice. And that's why I was asking each of us to see if there's an answer to the question, where do I feel, where do I feel called? Where do I feel called right now? And I was thinking of the story from Howard Thurman, which, I, which is a favorite one for me. So some of you may have heard it. Howard Thurman was a great uh, African-American uh, scholar, activist, uh, mystic. This is, a, this is a picture of him. It's a collection of his writings. And he was asked, he died around 1980, and he was a teacher um, for many years at Boston University. And I believe he also taught at Howard. I might be mistaken on that. But he came out to San Francisco and helped set up one of the first directly um, interracial churches in San Francisco in the 40s and 50s. And towards the end of his life, around the early 70s, he died in 1980, he was asked by a young man, what should I do? The man was in his early 20s. What should I do? And uh, Howard Thurman reflected for a little while, and then he gave this response, which is very interesting coming from an activist. Don't ask what the world needs. How would you like an activist to tell you that? Don't ask what the world needs. He said, rather, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Right? So I asked that question about what calls you in terms of deepening your practice and asking or inviting a response that's very personal not what you think you should do, but rather what calls you when you're quiet and you listen, when you listen deeply, when you listen intuitively. What's, what's there for you? What has energy? What has, what has life? What's alive, to use Howard Thurman's words? And that can be connected with clarifying priorities. Uh, the great Sufi poet Hafiz once, or I think it's pronounced Hafez, once said, run, my dear, from anything that may not strengthen your precious budding wings. 
Run, my dear, from anything that may not strengthen your precious budding wings. And I think the, the really, we don't have to have everything worked out. All we need to do is really ask, what is my next step? And so actually the essence of spiritual practice, I believe, is having some sense of what your next step is. It's not having the blueprint. It's not having the full map of the next five years. Although if you do, that can be useful. But it's rather noticing what comes next. What's my next step? What calls me right now? That's what I'm inviting us to uh, look at. And so I want to give some brief reflections about three areas of practice. One, formal practice. So ask, how might we deepen formal practice? Secondly, how might we deepen what we can call informal practice, connecting practice with our daily life? And thirdly, how might we deepen our offering to the world, our service, we might call it. And I'm inviting us very much related to the guidance from Howard Thurman. I'm inviting us to listen for what resonates with you. Listen for what calls. I'm going to mention a lot of things. I'm not saying do them all at all but rather listen maybe for what one or two or three most resonate with you. And that's what I'll be, that's what I'll be exploring. And there may even be maybe uh, one, one resonates with you, but then maybe something else comes to mind. So just see what, see what's there for you and look for just one or two insights about next steps. And maybe, maybe you know your next steps clearly, but maybe this can be helpful as well. And I just thought I'd mention briefly a way that the pandemic has been the basis or been the starting point for my own deepening of practice, which has been very interesting. And Christina mentioned it uh, briefly, but I've mentioned this also in other times talking on Wednesday. So that some of this will be familiar or uh, to some people, but I typically do like to do a long retreat of about a month or so every year. And I was signed up to be at Spirit Rock to be on a personal retreat with a bunch of other people for the month of March. Uh, of course, I went at the end of February, not knowing what would happen. On March 15th, Spirit Rock shut down. I went home. I continued the uh, second two weeks of my retreat at home. Uh, I have a good friend who was doing the same thing. We talked every two days. Then we both decided at the end of March to continue our retreat, even as we were taking on some other responsibilities. So starting in April, I continued elements of a home retreat doing about four or five hours of formal practice a day, which includes walking and uh, silent meals and so forth, and a good deal of, of sitting. And to make a long story short, I've continued that home retreat while also teaching and 
uh, mentoring people. I work probably with about 10 people a week, 10 or 12 people a week whom I mentor or guide in their own, in their own practice. So, and then of course, uh, being uh, and connecting at times with family and friends, but still having the structure of a home retreat where I actually uh, have the same time that I eat meals every day and I have a, a rhythm of when I do formal practice. Anyway, so I just thought I'd share that because that's personally, for me, for a lot of years, how to deepen daily life practice was a big question and I made efforts at it. And this has responded to that question in a way that I have not, that has taken me way beyond where I was. Very interesting. Wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Very interesting. So maybe there's something similar for you. <clears throat> so a few words on deepening formal practice. For some of us, we may not have a daily practice and we can use this time as a way to establish more firmly that practice with the support of sessions like this or other. There are so many sessions on Zoom, a lot of possibilities could be talking with friends. So for some of us, there would be the establishing of a daily practice if we don't have that. Start off with what's realistic, you know, maybe and, and decide if you don't have a regular practice, do 20 minutes or 15 minutes. See what's realistic. Make a very strong commitment starting today to do it for one week if you don't have a practice uh, that's regular. So that's, that's, that's one way to deepen practice for some of us. If we have a regular practice, deepening practice can also happen in terms of adding some more sessions. Maybe we have one sitting a day, maybe we in the morning, maybe we add an evening session. When we have more formal sittings uh, during the day, they weave together the rest of the day a little bit more, remind us to be aware, to bring kindness to practice more on a daily basis, more throughout the day. Another way that's been really interesting for me is to find a few five or 10 minute periods during the day where we go into a practice mode. It could be I take a 10 minute walk after breakfast or after lunch, after a meal, or I have a ritual where I do 10 minutes sitting before lunch or before dinner, or I do 10 minutes before I go to sleep. One of the keys to deepening actually daily life practice, but also formal practice is to have, is to find these short sessions. If we do them regularly, they become a routine. That's one thing I have found in my own home retreat. I do sittings before every meal. I have three meals a day. And if I'm not doing a sitting now before a meal, it feels weird. Right? And I don't mind feeling weird, but that kind of weird I try to avoid. So anyway, um, and so see what, see what works for you. 
in terms of that. That's again, I'm mentioning all these, not because I say you should do this, but just to see uh, what resonates with you. Okay. You can find supports from a friend or a community where you take on the same commitment. Generally, if you do, if you take on a commitment and do it really strongly for a week and just make it happen, something gets worked out so it becomes more like a routine. And then after a week, it's not hard. Like I say, it'll feel weird if you don't do it. So that those are some ways of deepening formal practice in terms of quantity. But we can also deepen our, our formal practice in terms of quality, we might say. So we can work, for example, with a teaching. We might work with a particular teaching for a month. I might want to deepen, for example, my concentration. I might work with that for a month. Or I might work with uh, noticing reactivity in the mind and being skillful with reactivity. I might choose that and really stay with that for a month. It's also transfers really well to daily life practice. Let me be on the lookout for moments in which I'm uh, judgmental towards myself or others or reactive or just like something like that. I imagine the Buddha sometimes just went around saying, just watch out when you're I don't know, we, we don't get it in direct quotation, but I imagine he did that. So, um, yeah, but just to notice when the mind is reactive, usually the two forms of reactivity are when we're pushing something away or we're grasping. Notice when you really, really are grasping for something, could be food, could be something else, study those moments, study them in your formal meditation. One way to do that is you can sometimes bring up, let's say you had a difficult uh, interaction with someone where you were reactive, you can bring that up, uh, especially if it's not uh, at the top of the intensity scale. If there's a one to 10 intensity scale, you can do this with something which is five or six or seven. Sometimes the nine or tens are harder, but you can bring that up in meditation, bring it to mind, see what it's like in the body, do some investigation that can really be a way to deepen practice, work with reactivity. You can work with something like developing more mindfulness of the body, which again will translate very nicely into uh, daily life practice. We can, uh, <clears throat> we can work with uh, the quality of investigation, which is really crucial, where we're actually developing more interest in our experience. This is a beautiful way to deepen. It can come with looking at reactivity. It can come also by really trying to notice, okay, when there's irritation there, what's it like in the body? What's going on? Notice the different uh, elements of experience in the body, in the, in the uh, emotions, in the thinking. You know, uh, there are many ways to do investigation. Maybe I can talk about that another Wednesday but actually having interest and curiosity about one's experience is a beautiful way to deepen. So second area then, how do we deepen in daily life practice? There's a wonderful quotation from the Tibetan teacher Shabkar. He said, let your life and practice be one. 
not easy. Daily life practice is hard. I mentioned that it's for me, it's been an edge of learning for a long time. You know, for obvious reasons, many of us get busy. Maybe we're still busy during the pandemic. How many people, let's say before the pandemic, were really busy? You can raise your hands. Found yourself busy, busyness was an issue, right? It is, there's a, there's a Tibetan teacher, he said something very interesting. He said, for Westerners, he said, your busyness is your laziness. Maybe a little bit harsh, but pointing to something how we often get really, really busy and we don't deal with certain things in our lives or in the larger society, right? Your busyness is your laziness, very interesting. You know, very provocative in a way. You know, and we're, I could mention a lot of things that make daily life difficult in terms of awareness, mindfulness. One of them is we're in what's largely a very mental culture, right? So we're consumed by thinking. Anyone think a lot? Raise your hands, right? It's it's in the culture. Uh, the, the Thai teacher, Achan Buddhadasa, was once asked, what do you think? of Western civilization, he said, lost in thought. Interesting. So again, there are a lot of very positive aspects of thought as well, but that being consumed and thinking so much so that awareness is hard, mindfulness is hard. I noticed that myself. I try, my edge of learning is trying to bring mindfulness and awareness to being on the computer. Not easy, right? The Buddha didn't say much about that, as far as I know. So, so what are what helps with daily life practice? I mentioned mindfulness of the body is a really crucial support, so that we can, if we have more awareness of the body, we'll actually have less thinking. And we can be more aware in the flow of daily life. And I imagine a lot of us already do this where we, uh, you know, say, I'm washing the dishes, let me be mindful. Or I'm taking a walk, let me be mindful. If we've cultivated mindfulness of the body, including in our formal meditation, that'll be more accessible. It's one of the ways we kind of move out of the mental trance and have more presence awareness uh, during the day. So finding ways to be mindful of the body, take an activity, say, I'll brush my teeth with mindfulness. I'll eat with mindfulness. You know, I'll wash the dishes, I'll take walks, and there'll be times to cultivate mindfulness. That's a way of bringing the mindfulness into the daily flow. <clears throat> We can also interpersonally also work with something like difficulties or reactivities. Take, take one's challenging experiences as starting points for practice rather than a starting point for grumbling. Uh, another Tibetan saying goes, turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Turn all obstacles into the path of practice. That makes things very interesting. Can you take challenges as opportunities for learning? Not easy. And 
again, maybe it's usually not a beginning capacity, but if we do that, uh, things can change. It's actually, I would say, more of an intermediate or advanced practice to do that, but it can be really uh, powerful for us. Another way to deepen daily life practice, and I'm just mentioning a few, is to have the intention to bring more kindness, care, compassion, empathy into our day-to-day -day lives. We can do this in our interactions. We can, it can be supported by doing loving kindness practice, metta. Some people, uh, again, people were driving more before the pandemic, but some people do metta when they're driving or loving, loving kindness. We can, I know a number of people who are in the helping professions and they have a very explicit intention to bring kindness into their whole day of work when they're you know, in medical settings or helping people in certain ways, can work with kindness and compassion. So that's a further way to deepen daily life practice. Another way that can be very important is to work with intentions, to set intentions. I'm going to have a discussion with a friend about something difficult. Can I come from kindness and empathy? Can I just, can I, in this next uh, time washing the dishes, can I just be aware? We can use intentions for just very ordinary things, for challenging experiences. And so working with intention, sometimes what helps to do that is take a pause. You know, I, I taught a retreat uh, at the beginning of June on deepening daily life practice. And one of the tools that we worked with that, and I've been meeting with those people, um, uh, I think we've met almost every week, uh, people from the retreat meet again, we meet together. And a number of the people have said that what helps people a lot, some people the most, is simply pausing, stopping, setting an intention, what's going on now? How do I want to proceed for the next short period of time? Okay. So then lastly, a few words about deepening our sense of practice as service or helping others, our work. You know, it could be one's work in one's family, one's responsibilities of parenting. It could be uh, one's regular work. It could be one's activism. You know, and so the question is, uh, what calls one? What might I do? And I think I want to say that all of these areas I'm mentioning, I'm mentioning three areas, formal practice, what I'm calling informal practice, and then our service, all of these are deeply interrelated. And I, you know, I think of the fact of going back and forth between inner work and outer work is a core principle for actually being of use. The, the British historian uh, Arnold Toynbee said that the, he said the essence of cultural creativity is when people go back and forth between some kind of movement away from ordinary life, some kind of insight that they receive, and then returning to, to ordinary life. And we may do this, you know, uh, every day. We may, it may be a little more dramatic, you know, like going 
away for a month or something. And we can find this when you look to the lives of people like Gandhi and King, we see these sort of things, or Thich Nhat Hanh, Dorothy Day, we see these ways that people have, look at their lives, they, were, they weren't just active 100%. They had times when they retreated, you might say, so that can be helpful. So what calls one? If we're interested in helping the world, what issue calls you? Some discussions I've been having with people in the last actually year or two, especially, people say, I want to be helping with one of, particularly one of the crisis issues. And I ask, what issue calls you? And it can take some reflection to find that. And then I might say, how much time do you have? And people might say, five hours a week. And then I invite them, research the options for you with five hours a week. So someone might say climate issues and research the organizations they might work with. Or I want to work with the transformation of racism. You know, what, you know, how might I do that? You know, and look for the options and then, and then commit to it. <clears throat> so I want to close with a poem, and then I'm going to do a little exercise together. This is a poem uh, from David White. And this is about uh, knowing what your next step is. I'm, I'm encouraging us simply to not to have the whole plan clear, but to know what one's next step is. And this is from David White. It's called Just Beyond Yourself. It's really about, listen for this, it's about knowing what one's next step is. Just beyond yourself, it's where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. There is a road always beckoning when you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deepen the foundations of your own heart at exactly the same time that's how you know it's where you have to go. That's how you know it's the road you have to follow. That's how you know you have to go. That's how you know it's just beyond yourself and it's where you need to be. So that's the invitation. And I've, I'm wanting to frame this now by asking us two questions, the same questions I asked at the end of the meditation. And I want us to reflect with these for, on these for about a minute or two. The first question, how do you feel called to deepen your practice now? Could be in any of the ways. And then secondly, what helps or supports you to deepen your practice? How do you feel called to deepen your practice and what helps you or supports you in deepening? So just let's reflect for a minute or two.
And now I want to invite you to actually discuss this with one of your fellow practitioners. We're going to be breaking into groups of three. And you have, if it's, if you'd rather not speak, that's okay. But I'm encouraging everyone just to share for about th up to three minutes your responses to those two questions with two other people. And so, again, if for any reason you'd rather stay silent, that's okay. And we'll, we'll do this for about a total of 10 minutes, then we'll come back and talk together. So here's the format. We'll break into groups of three. The two questions are, how do you feel called to deepen your practice at this time? And then what helps or supports you in deepening your practice? Being groups of three, one person will speak for three minutes. We'll get a signal from Christina to shift to the next person. Then we'll go to the second person. And then we'll go to the third person. And then we'll come back and talk together. Okay. So let's go into the groups now. And thanks for being, thanks for being willing to uh, talk with other people. Okay. As seems to happen, a few folks have uh, scrambled away fear of the breakout room, which is totally okay. But um, pay attention to the room that you've been assigned to. Uh, if you get bumped out for whatever reason, that sometimes happens with our connection. If you come back to the main room and do want to be put into a room, put, use the raised hand feature and I'll get you into either the room that you knew or a new room. Um, and if you don't want to be, just stay silent and I don't raise your hand or send me a chat and I won't send you anywhere. This is a 10 minute um, breakout. Please enjoy, they're very, very powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. So enjoy and we'll come back and see what see what you see what you find that's helpful. We can talk together when everyone comes back. <laughs> 